All right, we have an opportunity to change the trajectory of this entire neighborhood because people didn't didn't see it. People from South Dallas, people from Dallas together, all together were like, why are you building in South Dallas? I'm like, why not? You know, why not? Land is cheap. Land is five, six hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. Do you think it's gonna get any cheaper? Like, what are you what are you hoping for? Sweet talk episode. 119. Are we on the Tweet Tweet dope. Dope. What it sounds like to be the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. Episode Gucci Sparkling Water. Who has Gucci sparkling water? The Jim Jones. Or oh, well, Jim Jones oh. doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Episode Gucci sparkling water. We're going to talk about that a little later. Welcome <laughs> to Tweet Talk, the Black Wealth Podcast, where we break down financial tweets and talk about building black wealth. I am your host, Raphael Husbands, along with my co-host, Charles Oglesby III JD, a.k.a. Todd Millionaire in these internet streets. And tonight we have a guest by the name of one Scotty Smith. What's good, people? How y'all doing? Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate that, too. Appreciate yeah, it's it's funny because I don't know if you know this, but I've been trying to get you on to the other podcast, me and Eric podcast, for a while. We might have actually had something scheduled. I don't know if we did or not. And then we, um, I met you at the dinner Andre put on in yeah. Dallas. And uh, I think your mom was there. Very nice yep. lady. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, we did connect there. That's crazy. I don't know how we missed that. How I miss that, you know. You're busy building homes, man. You don't got time. Yeah, man. I gotta, I gotta find me a a, a reliable assistant, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going through them pretty quickly, man. And it's just, you know, yeah. Rough. Got, too, got too much to do, man. Got too a, much to hold do. on, hold on. I have a question. Texas Omega Sci-Fi. Do you ever link up with um, Chris? Chris Senegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, every now and again, I reach out to him if I have some questions, man. Um, Matter of fact, I, 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 he's a he's he's a good friend of one of my best friends, and so he connected us in the group chat. Was like, "Yo, y'all need to connect." I was like, "Why do I need to connect with this dude?" And, you know, I checked him out. I was like, "Yeah, we need to connect. Yeah, we gotta we gotta connect, man." And so. Um, you know, when he launched his uh, his project down in Houston, which is actually my hometown, I was all in. I, you know, I was I was very impressed by it. I just had to, uh, you know, I just had to stay in contact with him. So I'll reach out to him every now and again. Matter of fact, before he got uh, extremely busy like he is now, I was hitting him up pretty much once or twice a week, just trying to, you know, see what what I needed to do up here in Dallas to make, you know, to mimic what we had going on down there. Yeah. So, um, all right, so wait, Scotty. Let the people know, introduce yourself, let the people know who you are, man, what you do, oh, man, generally yeah. speaking. I, I, I guess so I guess we need to get to that part. Yeah, so uh, generally speaking, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a real estate professional, real estate broker, investor, developer. Um, I've been in real estate for my entire adult life. Um, so since I was 19 in some form or fashion, I've been uh, involved in real estate. I did my first uh, deal at... At 19 uh, in Denton, I bought a house, took my scholarship money and my financial aid refund check and uh, parlayed that into uh, a property. Uh, And I was house hacking before the term house hacking was around, was renting the rooms out to 
a couple of my friends, um, covered the mortgage and then some. Mm. And, uh, you know, I just kind of went from there, uh, bought, um, did a wholesale deal, you know, a few months later, then bought my first, you know, big flip uh, a few months later. Uh, and shoot, that was all before I was 21. And then, you know, obviously the market crashed and tried to figure out what I was going to do and got a degree in finance and accounting, uh, accounting degree from Notre Dame. And then I just, you know, tried to do the public accounting thing. And I, I hated that. Uh, absolutely hated that. That wasn't what I wanted to do and really just um, continue my real estate career from there, man, in, in the brokerage form. And then about um, about seven years ago now, really started transitioning and focusing on uh, development, ground up development, um, really restabilizing uh, South Dallas um, here in the North Texas area. So that's that's really what, what's been going on. Been so, featured a number of things, man. Um, shoot Forbes, Black Enterprise, you know, 30 under 30 type stuff. So it's been a, a really humbling journey, man. Kid coming from, uh, you know, pretty large family, 12 siblings. It's just, it's, it's humbling, man, just being able to go through and experience all these things that I, that I have going on. So, so <clears throat> kid, 12 siblings, what was, what was life like growing up for you? Uh, it was a shit show. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was it was really fun. I'll be honest with you, man. So, uh, play sports growing up. All of us, in some capacity, were in music, and so my brother, um, my brother is actually a Grammy nominated artist. His name is Major. Um, you know why I love you. He, he's uh, he's actually out there in LA with you, man. Um, but he took it the furthest, and his personality was really just infectious and. And, you know, we just it's, it's really weird, man, because there's so many different personalities. Right. And so got different personalities, people, different swag. And it was just when I when I say shit show, it really was a shit show, man. It was it was <laughs> but it was fun, though. So um, it's one of those things where we, we fought a lot in the house. But when we step outside the house, hey, <laughs> good luck trying to mess with us. <laughs> right. But it was good, though, man. Were you always an entrepreneur or was this like something you worked into? Man, my first entrepreneurial venture was with my brother. Um, and, you know, you can imagine that many kids, parents not really college educated. And so they really just hustled to do what they need to do. Um, and we we made we wanted to get you know our parents and, and friends uh, Christmas gifts. And so what we did is we went to we had a couple bucks. So we went to the dollar store, bought some baskets um bought some spray paint and in our neighborhood we had we had a bunch of pine cone trees so we went and we picked up pine cones spray painted them different colors put them in baskets and sold them for like seven bucks you know door to door you know to people in the neighborhood it really just you know kind of as a christmas you know centerpiece and that was my first entrepreneur adventure you know really growing up with that many kids that many siblings, um, you know, my parents did their best, but, you know, we never were really dripped up with any of the, the new stuff like we really wanted. And so we just had to, we had to get it. We had to figure it out. And so um, that kind of taught me, um, you know, hard work, get after it, the hustle mentality. And my pops was also in the construction business. He was a subcontractor, kind of working odds and ends. Um, one of the things that really sparked my interest is, is, you know, him and his guys would come out and work on a property 
And then at the end of that property, you know, rehab, he's giving the keys to somebody else. And, you know, now he's going and hustling, trying to find the next job. And this person is, you know, this is their house or they rent it out or whatever case may be. So I was like, yo, how do I how do I get that? You know what I mean? How do I how do I figure that part out? What's what's going on over here? And so, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what it was, man. Just really just growing up without and saying I don't I don't, I don't ever really want to go back to that <laughs> that point. So. Yeah. So how long you have you had? Um, you have uh, Scotty Smith real uh, real estate advisors, I believe it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. How so long, how long have you had that? We just actually hit ten last year. So this is our eleventh year in operations, man. At our largest point, we were we were at thirty two agents. Um, we've scaled back, so right now we're at ten agents. Um, ten agents really just focusing. Uh, hyper-focusing on a specific area in Dallas, which is just the, the southern part, so, southern and south part of Dallas. We're really helping our people understand the importance of, of home ownership uh, and thinking about that purchase like an investor thinks about their purchase, right? And so I wrote a book and I, I introduced what I call the anything theory. And the anything theory kind of tells people, yo, you can change anything about a house really except this location. And so when you think about that, let's let's consider let's consider going after these homes that may not be exactly what you want. We can get creative with the loan product and you can have exactly what you want for much lower than what's going on in the market. Obviously, you know, market right now is kind of crazy here. So you're still paying high dollars for those things anyway. But, you know, the we, we've helped thousands of families, you know, upwards of, you know, just over a thousand actually over the past uh, 11 years. So it's. It's been an interesting ride and, and seeing the impact that we've had on families through the years, that's that's very rewarding. And like I said, it's humbling. Um, so yeah, it's, it's humbling and it's a beautiful thing because 95% of our clients have been black. So. Oh, wow. Is, uh, <clears throat> has Dallas always been a hotspot or is this something that's kind of been emerging over the years? Dallas has always been a high spot, really, all over Texas. Um, I remember, so what we're experiencing now is the same thing that we were experiencing around 2011, 2012. Um, and we had a ton of out-of-state investors coming in. And that's when the market was kind of coming back into the upswing. And, you know, these investors from Cali and New York and, you know, and Florida were coming to Dallas buying up a lot of the properties that were in foreclosure or have been foreclosed on. And then people were also starting to get back into the market, getting comfortable. Consumer confidence was up. And, it, you know, it was interesting. Um, I remember at that time, man, I did something called the Dallas Foreclosure Tour. And so I, I, I got a bus, I rented a bus, put a bunch of investors on there. I was literally driving the bus. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was literally driving the bus and we just went to like 20, you know, every every weekend we went to 20 different properties that were foreclosed on. I remember walking away each weekend with about four or five contracts. And, you know, it was it was it was interesting because even my clients that were actually looking for houses, I'm like, yo, listen. We're going to have to come in. You're going to have to overbid. You're going to have to, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, you know, these people are coming in here dropping cash, $20,000, over ask. You know, it's kind of tight. <laughs> so that's cool, man. It's the thing about uh, entrepreneurship, man. Get that creativity. You didn't let it stop you, man. Yeah, no, that the creativity, you know, that's the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship. You're allowed to be creative. And and really 
expand on different ideas that, that you may have. And so in doing so, some of them may some of them may hit some of them, you know, might be fails. But, you know, it doesn't stifle your creativity like some of you know, some of these some of these corporate positions. Right. You know, they want you to go with their SOP standard operating procedures, do it A, B, C and B. And that's it. I was subjected to that in accounting. I was like, yo, this is not it. You know, that's like one of the most rigid professions you could be in. <laughs> it is very rigid, man. And it's, you know, you can't say anything. You can't do anything. You can't dress crazy. I would say that it seems like once you become an entrepreneur, it kind of becomes that the most creative person wins. Yeah. So in corporate, mm. it's like, bro, follow these rules and put them there for a reason. But like once you start getting into real estate, what I've found is, OK, this is what we're looking at. But it's like if I can reimagine something, if I can build something that somebody else isn't thinking of, that's going to make my money. Yeah. Or if I can create a product that's something else that nobody else is thinking of, that's I'm going to make my money. Have you experienced the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And specifically from um, real estate brokerage and a development side, you know, as a, as an independent broker, as a small brokerage, you got to figure out different ways to recruit talent. Right. And people naturally are attracted to the big boys, the, the larger firms, the larger name firms. And so for us and, and for me as a broker, agents help our brokerage grow. And so creating different you know, pathways for people to become agents, creating different you know, structures in which people get paid and, and creating different marketing situations and segments, it's, it's proven to be a lot, a lot better than what I've seen other agents at larger firms be able to do. And so, yeah, the creativity, but even on the development side, what I was able to do in, in Dallas and really in South Dallas, I had to prove up a concept and it really came with creativity. And it's like, I know that this area can get market value because they were selling everything at very, very low prop, you know, uh, prices. And so I had to create um, an interesting or unique floor plan, an interesting, unique house altogether, a different building material. Like when I first started developing this area, I was building with, um, you know, a material that was R42, like the R value was 42, which means that it's extremely energy efficient, right, to try to justify the value. And so just making that small creative, you know, input into the neighborhood, people are like, oh, okay, well, shoot, if I'm going to save $150 a month on my electricity bill yeah i'll, I'll pay 250 or 300 for it yeah. and so that's you know creativity is is really what drives us as entrepreneurs and if you're not waking up and, and trying to figure out a creative way to solve a problem you're losing you're working backwards Woo. now i forgot to tell the folks be sure to follow us on twitter at tweet talk pod as pod follow myself rafael on twitter at work money life I'm a partner, Charles, on Twitter at Real Todd Billion. Now, Scotty, tell them where they can find you. Find me on Instagram at Scotty with an I-E, L. Smith. Scotty L. Smith on Instagram, Scotty L. Smith on Facebook. And that's pretty much it. That's it. That's where I'm at. Um, I don't, there's so many really cool things to talk about, but I think telling the story is important. And you you started with the house hack that you parlayed your school money into but a lot of times that house hack sets people up too, because I mean, of course you're cash flowing, but you're living for free. So where did you go from there? Like, what did you do with that leg up? So from, from the house hack, I went into a wholesale deal um, from wholesale deal. I took, I think I, man, <laughs> 
that wholesale deal was crazy. I made $50,000 on my first wholesale deal. Mm, it was the craziest situation. And I remember <laughs> it's okay. I remember coming at home, like 1920. Right. I was 19 years old. I remember coming home to my mom and I was still driving. It was a 96 Monte Carlo 10. And I remember coming home and <laughs> this dude needed to come and get this contract signed. And I found it. This is before like Hub Zoo and all your your online foreclosure auction things were going. You know, it was kind of really at the start of that. And so I found this deal on this auction, won it at like 20 or $30,000 and was selling it to him for 80 grand. And so I, I was doing anything to make certain that this deal went through. So I made this dude come down to my mom's house to sign the contract and give me a non-refundable $10,000 earnest money check. He was like, I want this deal. You know, it was a, it was a slam dunk deal. But from there, man, I took that money and I bought my, my very first large flip. And so I took that and it was really at the end of, at the end of the year, I did a full gut rehab. I still remember the address. It was, it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy rehab. My first ended, flip was a full gut rehab. It was a full gut rehab. <laughs> it was a full gut rehab. <laughs> and I remember calling my pops and calling my uncle uh, and just saying, okay, what do I need to do? You know, can y'all come up here? They were like, nah, you got it. <laughs> it's on you. You know, make sure. <laughs> And I remember, you know, me and the, the contractor grossly underbid the project. And so I was holding like 10 grand from him to finish it. And so he was like, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. And I said, OK, young, naive. I gave him that last 10 grand. <laughs> I gave him that last 10 grand. And what ended up happening is I think he was supposed to install the rest of the doors and and I think install the granite countertops or something crazy. I came in the doors for the entire project were sitting in the middle of the floor <laughs> like mm. they were stacked up. He, he let them and the granite was like sitting on it was like leaned up against the wall and I was calling them no answer, calling them no answer. So I ended up having the, you know, my, my uncle, my pops came up, helped me put it in there. But then, man, at the end of that year, and then literally the turn of the next year, it, it was like somebody just turned off a switch. And that's when the whole Great Recession thing happened. It was just like, damn, now I'm, I'm stuck with this property that I literally had a really solid margin built into it. And I end up, I mean, I think I made like $200 profit on that. But I was, I was just so happy that I was able to liquidate it because I mean, it was it was the weirdest thing that I'd ever experienced. Obviously, you know, I'm still young again, but I was like, what what is going on? What did I do to make this go like this? All all all, all the while, you know, the whole whole economy is going to hell in the handbasket. Why, why do you feel like contractors have a problem finishing the job? Uh, a lot of times contractors grossly underbid stuff and they they, they underbid to, so they can get the work. Right, and, right, you right. Know, what I've learned about contractors is that they don't necessarily know business. So you got a lot of technicians, right? You got a lot of folks who know how to hang drywall. You got a lot of folks who know how to paint. You got a lot of folks who know how to lay brick, but they don't know business, right? And so one of, one of the things that I tell people all the time that work for me, hey man, I need to get paid. You know, I need, I need to get this. I need to get some money so I can pay my guys. Hey, my man. Man, <laughs> I hear that all the time. I don't care about your payroll, homie. 
Right. Our agreement, <laughs> our agreement is with so you got a job that you've agreed and we've signed a, a contract to, to, to complete, and we've said, hey, you're gonna get paid at this point, this point, and this point. If you're unable to manage your payroll, my guy, that don't have anything to do with me. You need to go find you somebody to help you, or you pay me a consultant fee. I'll help you get your stuff in order, but <laughs> right. I, I don't care about that. You know, you have you pay your guys, <laughs> you pay your guys first. You know what I'm saying? Do, deal with your stuff and you get paid on the back end, just like just like I do, or whatever the case may be. But I'm not the guy that's I'm not I'm not that guy. Like I'm, I'm not one that's gonna be like, oh, let me give you a couple more dollars so you can you know take care of you. No, nah, handle your payroll, yeah. my boy. <laughs> that's, that's just he what said, it is. He gonna charge. He gonna charge the um, contractor consulting fee. I love it, man. I don't know. Have y'all dealt with that? Well, all the time. Well, man. not me, but that's that's why I got to consult with somebody who's so far ahead of me to know what's okay. Because sometimes a contractor can tell you something, and if it's just you, you're like, oh, maybe I should help him with this payroll. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And then you hear Scotty say like, nah, fam, like that's what I thought in my heart should be the answer. But now I know that's the SOP. So sometimes you need some SOP. (laughs) Sometimes you need some creativity. This is the SOP moment. (laughs) That is like, yo, you handle your payroll, man. Yeah. (laughs) Get right on that. Get right on that. Okay. So we're going to bring back, I'm bringing back um, one of my favorite segments of the show, Black Billionaire Banter, where we talk about. Black billionaires, of course, and also regular black businessmen and women making big moves out there. So for this week's Black Billionaire Banter topic, we're going to talk about our guest, Scotty Smith, and his Tony Cabin Investment Crowdfund. Tell us about that. What you got going on over there in Dallas? Man. Yeah, this is this is actually a really fun project. So for the past six, seven years, I've been really focusing in on affordable housing in Dallas. And, you know, that, that stuff can get kind of stressful when you're dealing with the cities and municipal, municipal governments and things like that. So this year, year seven of uh, my development career, I said, we're going to focus on some fun stuff this year. And this is the first fun project that we have coming out the ground this year. It's a it's a 20. Uh, so we're doing 20 tiny cabins. It's called the Retreat at Lake Noir. And so it's it's 20 tiny cabins situated around a three and a half acre man-made lake uh, on 15 acres. Um, ultimately, man, it is it's a development that is that has a goal of, of giving people the opportunity to get away and unplug and take a literally a peaceful retreat away from the hustle and bustle of life. And so as entrepreneurs, and, and, and hustlers and, and all that type of stuff, we 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 forget to just stop, pause, and smell the roses. Mm. So this this is literally the opportunity for people to come out and just chill and relax, enjoy the lake, fish, boat, you know, do all that stuff. And so for this, man, I'm doing uh, 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 SEC regulation CF crowdfund, and that crowdfund we're raising a million dollars um to get this thing done it's open to everybody over the age of 18 um we're doing a thousand dollar minimum investment um it's open to accredited investors non-accredited investors anybody who wants to really see a return on their money and we're using let me say something you said how long how long have you had this um this land you have you own the land right yeah i bought i actually bought the land uh the fourth top of the fourth quarter of last year um, and really, I'll be honest, if I'm being honest and, and, and transparent on y'all show, man, I had COVID 
And I thought I was going to die, y'all. So I was, you know, I was like, okay, we need to, we need to start. Legacy moment. Yeah. We, we need to start getting, seriously. That's exactly they need to remember me. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I closed on a few deals. I think I closed on probably, I would say about $2 million worth of real estate at that time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, coughing, you know, thinking I was going to give it up. <laughs> so I said, you know, if I'm going, if I'm going to check out, if God going to take me, uh, you know, I'm going to deplete all of this. It's going to be assets for my kids. And we, you know, we, we about to, we about to rock and roll, but, uh, you know, got better, got healed. And I was like, okay, well, let's figure out how we're going to make this one shake. Yeah. So how, wait, so, what was the original plan? I'm sorry. Was- the original plan, man, I, I was going to use it just as hunting land. Like I, I love to hunt. Um, and so I was like, we just gonna, you know, do you, when hunt. you have hunting land, do you have to like attract the animals to your land to get them there? Or are they just already there natively? They're just already there, man. I, oh, okay. Yeah. We, we were, I, I was walking, walking out there today, um, and just noticing where, you know, boar, um, and all that type of stuff have, have, have been on the property. So we, I probably have boar and deer probably have some pheasants and all that type of stuff out there. Mm. A um, black man who hunts. Do you, can, can, that. can you swim yeah. too? Can you swim too? I can, I can survive. Oh. I'm not that great of a swimmer, but I, I'm, I'm not going to go to the bottom of the lake though. But see, <laughs> no, but hunt, I wasn't seeing drinking all be, the stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> hunting could be an attraction at, at the, at the retreat, man. You know? Yeah. Well, I, see, I, I was thinking about that, but the way we have the cabin situated, they're so spread out that if somebody uh, just out there shooting, you know, you're at risk of getting hit. So right. you know, no, no hunting out there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll make certain that all the boar at least are cleared off the land before we are operational. Yeah. But is that a, is that, is that a business opportunity there though? The, the boar before you like, can you do yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. I got a guy that's coming to clear them off. Normally people pay folks to, uh, to come clear the boar. Um, but I have a guy that's gonna come for free, and I told him he can he can he can take them, take as many as he want, eat them. Wow, people, you know, eat those things. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, a million dollar crowdfund, but I'm sure this project costs way more than a million dollars. Yeah. So the it's kind of like a capital stack. Is that what you're putting together? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is our capital stack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Explain that. And yeah, for the people who don't know. Okay, so pretty much capital <laughs> stack is. Your 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 sources of money. That's that's the simplest way to put it. So you got your debt, which is typically your loan. You got your, you could have some mezzanine debt, which is kind of a cross between um, your debt and equity. Then you got some equity. Then you might have a developer fee that you're adding to the capital stack, and and you might also have you know the land that you own that you're adding to the capital stack. So mm. um, you know we we're we're this project ironically enough is about is is just over two and a half million dollars all in. Um, we own the land, um, and so the million dollars you know that we're raising is a is a large part of our capital stack. Um, and it's and, and I'm very intentional with that. Is because our investors are going to get sixty percent of you know the cash flows. So, so they'll have a pref they have a preferential return plus sixty percent of the cash flows. Wow. And it's really you know for me you know I got a proven track record. However, there's a lot of people who don't know what I've done or know what I do. 
And so this is one of those things where it's like, hey, this is my introduction to uh, to everybody. Like, yo, there's a there's a dope dude down in Dallas that's been that's been making stuff happen for a really long time. Um, and I'm, I'm wanting y'all to come along for the ride on this particular project. And so that's what I'm hoping to do, man. And and it's really it's an opportunity for people to get used to uh, having or being involved with um, a successful crowdfund, right? We got we got some successful crowdfunds out there. We got some unsuccessful crowdfunds out there. But in order for our people to continue to capitalize and to reap some of the benefits of these types of things, we have to have proven developers that that actually yeah. have done it, have shown success and track records track records of success. But then allow people to be involved. I had one of my mentors tell me about a uh, <clears throat> tell me about a project that he invested, and it was a it was a five hundred six a a red five hundred six a. So it was only accredited investors. Minimum investment was half a million dollars. It was a three year hold period. This dude came back. He showed me the wire that he received for one point five million dollars, and I'm like, that's a that's a three x multiple. That's crazy, you know it. It's crazy, but it's very common when you start right. these types of deals, right? When you're in those spaces, right? Right. It's very common. And so I want to make that common for the common man, right? Both man and woman. So if we're doing those types of deals that's shooting out those types of multiples, I want people who who have, you know, they might not have 500000 to drop into one of those deals, but they might have 50 or they might have 10 and they still see that 3X. So that's right. what that's what we got to get people used to, specifically mm-hmm. on these big real estate deals, because the more and more we get our people used to it, the more comfortable they'll get with investing with people uh, and developers and sponsors that look like us. Yeah. So, so that's why you drop it as low as a thousand. Yep. I was going to say, yep. w- what do you think it takes to have a successful crowdfund? I think you have to have uh, a. a combination of things. First things first, you got to have a project that makes sense. That's first. You got to have a project that makes sense. You got to have a sponsor or a developer that, that understands his numbers backwards, forwards, ups and down. A lot of times people people may read a book or you know they may go to a weekend Listen class. to some podcasts. Right. Listen to a podcast. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, podcasts be dropping some dimes, but you know, it's not enough, especially in this space, because there's so many elements in the real estate development world that may catch you off guard. And if you don't have the proper contingency built into your model, then you'll, you know, that'll blow up your whole budget. You might not even get your project completed with that, right? And so <clears throat> we made we made a contingency for this project. We started site work already, but I knew that, you know, I hadn't seen all of the land yet because we had to cut down trees. One of the things that we found out once we start cutting down trees is that we had three big ass creeks, beautiful creeks, just mm. running through the property. And so because of that, we had to re, re, resituate our lake, you know, because the lake is man-made. We got to resituate that. So it changes a lot of things. Right. But we built into our model contingencies for that. Right. And so we're just, you know, it's like, all right, we knew something was going to come up. But so if you don't so you have the cash for it set aside. Right. So if you, you don't have somebody who understands those types of things, it's not going to really be successful. And, yeah. you know, I think experience, knowledge and really a project that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's it, so well, it sounds like two things. It's best to do like a project specific fund as opposed to just like a general fund. And then also the reason why it makes sense is because 
um, then you know the numbers are going to work out. So you're doing a deal that makes sense. And so I was listening to a podcast and he was saying like, money's not the problem. The opportunity is the problem. Mm -hmm. And so you can raise a bunch of money and then you're over here trying to find a deal that makes sense because you're pressed to put this money to use. Yeah. But now you might be buying bad deals. You might be putting this into something that doesn't make sense, but it's kind of better to make sure the opportunity makes sense as opposed to just having a bunch of cash. Yeah. So, you know, <sighs> I can speak on that might be a, a show for another day. But yeah, you you if you're going to invest in a fund, you have to you have to know that whoever's the the manager of that fund has experience deploying that capital to make it, you know, make it work for the fund. Right. Because if we're if there's a specific promise to to develop X amount of dollars or X percentage of dollars to the fund, you have to be able to identify on a consistent basis deals that are going to yield the numbers that you needed to yield. And so I think for right now, it's important for us, and I'm, I'm speaking for you know us, most unaccredited investors, Black folks, um, it, it's important for them to see these types of funds uh, that have a singular project associated with it mm -hmm. so that they can see that it actually works. <laughs> so I it, just, you know, those are the ones that I've seen have the most success. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where they say, hey, we're buying this, and this is yeah. how much money we need to buy this. Mm -hmm. um, starting to see a pattern here brothers <laughs> yeah because yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that 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 is the most they work i've seen successful funds i've seen successful reg a funds i've seen successful reg 506 uh funds those are ones that just continue to keep going right they're raising capital i've seen those work right but it's with experienced um it's, it's like really experienced managers right and so they're, they're they're knowing immediately i need to go deploy yeah. this on assets that already have some type of cash flow associated with it because yeah. first thing people want to see when you deploy that capital they want to say okay how long is it going to take me to get yeah. my check or a check <laughs> <laughs> i need to see something because it sounds like it's one thing to be a real estate investor. It's another to be a real estate developer. And it's another to be a real estate fund manager. Oh, yeah. And they're all different skill sets and they all require different experience. Because just like you said, like you understand development because you've been through development. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's exactly right. That You're exactly right. All three of those things have all different skill sets, right? And in order to be a successful fund manager, you have to have understanding and actual knowledge of the other of the other ones that you mentioned right Absolutely. you have to know real estate development you have to know um you know you have to know asset management you have to know financial analysis you have to know real estate investing <laughs> you have to know all that stuff um because you're playing with people's money yeah i thought it was interesting that you brought that up charles um about you had he had a investment lined up already before he started the fund because I was watching a little bit of the talk you did with Andre Hatchet, piece of Andre Hatchet in the chat. Um, Shout out Andre Hatchet, man, in the building. And you said that it was going to be an 8% preferred return. And immediately when I heard that, you know what I thought of, of course, <laughs> Tulsa Real Estate Fund. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but then then I thought about it was a bit, but wait a minute. He already has the plan. He already has the land. He already has the project. It's a, going. It's a spreadsheet. He's, I, I feel like what's, and that's why it makes it different when it's an actual specific, like, I guess you call it a target fund. I don't know. I don't know what you'd call it, but 
Um, this is why I think because I was going to ask you, you have a background in finance and accounting. So I think you kind of see things in numbers and in spreadsheets. Yeah. Where do the numbers line up? Does all the same flow through a spreadsheet where you're saying like we have an actual model for this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier to generate something when you have it on the spreadsheet and not just in your brain. Yeah. So the way, the way I see deals, man, and what makes me different than what makes me different? I'm not going to say better, but what makes me different than a lot of other real estate developers and investors is I see like when, when I see numbers, I can see a whole deal. I, I don't even have to see the land. I can see certain things in the numbers and I'm like, okay, this is this, this is this, this is this, this deal won't work, right? And if it doesn't make sense, those numbers can tell a full story, right? And so the difference, the difference between the reg CF, reg crowd, reg crowdfund essentially, and a reg A with what the Tulsa Real Estate Fund is, that's just a that's a fund that was situated to deploy capital on certain projects. With this particular fund, it is specific to a project. It is specific to the retreat at Lake Noir. It is tied directly to that project. So investors can literally get in their car or hop on a plane, drive to that project and touch everything that their money has gone to. Yeah, I see um, you guys, you got to listen on Eventbrite for a tour, right? Yep, yep. So we're doing we're doing investor tours, man. It's, and this is the, this is the fun stuff. I tap back into my creative bag from back, you know, back in 2011, the Dallas foreclosure tours. People like to see stuff. So we're getting on a bus. The difference is I'm not going to be driving the bus this time. I'm being back with everybody else. <laughs> but but we're, we're getting on the bus. We're going to be you know, we're, we'll be talking about the deal on the way up there, um, you know, showing people. The town, right? The town is is pretty dynamic, even though it's small. It's only population of about six hundred, just under six hundred people. Um, so this particular development, they're really excited about. It's like, okay, we're about to have something that brings people here. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Mm -hmm. They got one liquor store, two grocery stores, a Dollar General, a Family Dollar, and thirty-seven churches. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like your local. All, always always a bunch of churches. Always a bunch of churches, man. <laughs> so I meant to That's ice. what it is in Detroit. That was the first thing I noticed when I got to Detroit. There's a lot of churches. A lot of churches, man. So okay, let's get back to the the crowdfund. Uh, what's the numbers again? What's what's the preferred return? And what's what uh, what's the, when somebody puts a thousand dollars in? What are what, what are they supposed to get back? I mean, in theory. And so we're, and so we're let me say this before I say the, the theoretical numbers, I will say with any investment, you know, it can swing all the way bad or it can be really, really good. It's an investment. So if you're considering investing in this deal, only invest what you're comfortable with losing. Right. Um, and so on a thousand dollar investment, there's an eight percent preferred return. What that means, a preferred return means it's preferred. Right. It comes first. Um, and so it gets paid out. No matter what, right? It's, it's one of those things that comes before any of the net profits are paid out. Any of the thing, it's 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 a top, you know, it's one of those above the line type of returns. 
so an investor will get 8% on their money annually, right? And then at the end of the year, there's a 60%, there's a 60-40 split, 60% to the fund, 40% to the developer. Um, so if we yield, you know, a net, you know, net income or net cash flow of we'll say half a million dollars, right? If we're doing half a million dollars, 60% of that will go to the fund. So whatever your pro rata share is of, of the full fund, you know, you'll, you'll divide that by, you know, that, that, that number. Um, the 40% will come to my group and then we just keep doing it. Um, and then at the end of the fifth year, we're going to do uh, some type of capital event um, via the cash out refinance or sale. And uh, 60% of the proceeds from that go to our investor group and 40% come back to the development group. And so I'm targeting a two and a half to three times, a three X multiple on this deal. So that's, that's the target. I like it. I like it. Um, and, and speaking of the, the actual project, what made you want to go the route of making it like a resort um, and doing it that way? Couple reasons, man. There's not a whole bunch of black folks in the hospitality industry. And so this would be considered hospitality. Um, that, that was first. Second, glamping, camping, tiny cabins and short term rental, Airbnb, vacation rental by owner and just, you know, all your other vacation rental sites. Those things, even through the pandemic, continue to see exponential growth. And a lot of, a lot of questions, you know, I've, I've had about 50 one-on-one conversations with investors that are going to be investing in this thing. And a lot of them were like, well, you know, do you think it's going to change when, uh, you know, when the pandemic is over? And I said, well, no, this is the thing. We just got used to glamping, camping, and all of that stuff. We, us black folks, <laughs> glamping and camping and RVing have that's been a thing for you know Thank a goodness. lot of other demographics for a really long time. And so we're just capitalizing on on that industry, but also making it uh, a thing for us as well. So we'll see exponential growth in it. Um, and we're just tapping into this, this, this glamping, camping, tiny house, house thing that's been, you know, kind of increasing over the past decade. Yeah. So um, I had an Airbnb property on one of the, one of the projects that I built. I was like, I'm going to keep this one. Let me just use it as an Airbnb. I could have rented that property long term for about $2,500 a month. I allow parties and, and stuff like that in this one. And I think at my lowest point, I was making almost 10 grand a month. And so I was like, yo, hold on a second, y'all. Something to this Airbnb. Right, it's, it's something to this. And I'm just like, listen, if we can, if we can do this a lot, you know, to scale, this is a it's a it's a good thing. And so that's actually that's a really good idea. Um, because what I've noticed, I'm in an Airbnb right now, but they got the whole building. They went out, they bought a whole building and they turned the whole building into Airbnb, I don't know what you call it, units. And when I was in San Diego, they did the same exact thing. So it's like it's an idea that you can scale. It makes perfect sense. Are you going to be using like Airbnb sites or are you gonna build out your own? Or what does that look like? So we're we're using a third party management company that um um, that's they said part of their marketing strategy is using Airbnb and they'll okay. use Google Travel and some other folks. So we're using them. But in the meantime, we'll be building out our own site, you know, kind of picking up on what works for them and their marketing and things like that. And so um, I, I want to encourage anybody who has any experience building out those types of sites and have a marketing background to reach out to me because I'm, I'm, I'm really putting together that team 
uh, that's essentially going to take over once, you know, once they, you know, once it's time to phase them out. So until now, you've been doing everything, though, like the marketing and the advertising that's been on you or do you have a team that's there are some people working with you? Yeah, I have a few people working with me on the background. Um, I'm, I'm working with uh, I'm actually about to start doing my PR push here in the next few days. Um, but most of the stuff that we we've gotten out there and the content that we've gotten out there has just been um, really word of mouth. You know, yeah. homies, friends spread it and then got picked up by um, by the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. And that went crazy. And I'm just like, OK, well, it's good to know that people are really interested into it, you know, interested in this thing. Yeah. So now people know, like to get behind stuff like that man. they love it. Yeah. Yeah. Who came up with the name? Man, you know, it was a collective. So my 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 my, my younger brother just had a, a little baby, uh, and her name is Waverly Noir. And um, we were thinking about. It, I'm like, how do we how do we embed something that you know says black that you know that 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 gives a legacy? And so I, I shouted out to a couple of friends. There was a couple of different ideas. And a buddy of mine, actually one of, one of my investors on a different project, he was like, why don't you call it this? I was like, I like that. Okay. And so that's how we ran with it. It wasn't, you know, group thing pretty much. So how, how big is the land again? Like how big is the land? And how big are these t- cabins? It's about 15 acres. There's mm-hmm. going to be a three and a half acre lake that we're building. Uh, the cabins range from about 144 square feet to about 290 square feet. And so the largest one, you'll be able to sleep four people. Smallest one, you know, is for you and, and your spouse, significant other, you know, wh- whoever you want to take out there. In terms of the tiny homes, you don't have to build those. You just have to buy them, right? Or are they going to build them on site? So we're going to build them on site, right? So we consider we consider buying some and, and, and bringing them out. But logistics and what they were charging, it would make more sense for us to just get our, our lumber um, vendor to, to drop everything that we need to build it out there and have, you know, there's a hotel in town. I, you know, it would it would be cheaper for me to pay for, you know, my builder and his crew to stay in the hotel for two weeks, plus build it than it was for them to yeah. bring. You know, so I was like, yeah, we'll just build it. So we're gonna build it on site. Um, with with most tiny homes though, so people don't realize that the tiny home trend that's on wheels, right? That's really they really just kind of they they remarketed the RV. You know, that's that's or, or the mobile home. They remarketed the mobile home RV. So those types of things, they don't, they're not attached to the land. So you don't see the appreciation of the of the real estate. So yeah. with this, because I have investors and I'm trying to make certain that we, mm. you know, we have an increase in value through actual real estate, we're attaching them to foundations on the land. And so when somebody comes out there and and appraise it, if everything was on uh you know, if everything was on those little rollers, we wouldn't get the valuation that we need. Right, right. Everything was attached to the land. We essentially have 20 houses on a parcel plus the one that's already there. That's an exponential increase in value. Yeah. The lake. Who who are you building the lake or how does that happen? Yeah, man. So I'm out there every day with my shovel. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no. no, man. So uh we he said man made, he meant him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we are building a lake. He's the right? man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out there. So 
yeah, we're we're building it. Um, wow, white guys are out there, you know, with bulldozers and tractors and all that, digging it. So it'll be about fifteen feet deep. Um, we'll dam it up, you know, do what we need to do to make certain that there's no no crazy flooding. We're gonna tap groundwater, so we're gonna go about one hundred and fifty, maybe two hundred feet deep in a little, you know, a little hole about that big drilled up and that's you know between the rain wow. and that we should fill it up that's crazy it's, I'm, it's, i've always wondered what is the bottom of a lake how do you keep the water inside of it it's just like mud or yeah, cement it's just, yeah that's, that's it it's just a it's the, the earth Dang. that's it these questions might not be that interesting to the listeners, but I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> yeah, like he's yeah, building man, man-made lakes are a big thing in in, in Texas. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, huge man. Because we we have so much land out here, and so people, you know, people will build their homes on you know five or six acre tracks, and they might build a one acre lake. You know, some people might just build a you know a pond. It might be half acre, but you know that's still big. You know, you, that's dope, man. You know, half of a football field is a half acre. Yeah. This brother owns a lake. Yeah, he he, he owns, he's creating his own lake. Yeah, man, you should take take lots and lots of video, man. Yeah, that that goes back to the creativity we was talking about earlier, right? If you're not being creative, you know, you're getting phased out of this thing. Yep. Yeah, create or die. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, take lots of video, man. It's like you said earlier about we need to see our people doing these things. And I think seeing our people creating man-made lakes, that's 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 another level too, man. Yeah. On some like Dubai stuff, like yeah. you know, on a on a not another level, yeah. but still oh, it's good to see our people doing these things. Yeah. Thank you. Man. Question. Yeah. To what extent do you think the frat life and the principles of the frat kind of push you in your business endeavors? Man, that is um that's that's deep man so what what my fraternity has taught me man is one that we're the greatest fraternity <laughs> <in this earth. laughs> it's just for fyi there aren't any omegas in california you guys that's a southern thing <laughs> uh, so that's that um but really man just being able to uh in our fraternity there there's there's literally a resource for anything that you need and I've been able to tap into those resources to one get an understanding to better to, to better suit what it is that I have going, but also pouring into them with the information and the knowledge that I have, and understanding within the fraternity that it's, it doesn't really matter if you're old or young. If there's you know it's a brotherhood, and so if there's information and knowledge that can be shared, you know it's it's like an open book, and so. Uh, there's there's things that I call our construction guys for like, yo, man, is this how they're supposed to go? Or, you know, somebody said this and I might not be using them on a specific project because they might be too expensive or, <laughs> or whatever the case may be. But being able to uh, lean on that has been um, has been exceptional for me. So. Yeah. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to Gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. 
Yeah. I just, whenever I start seeing multiple people doing something similar and there's like a common vein, I always ask like, okay, what, what is this? Like I've noticed a lot of women who play basketball are just like killing it in business. And then I've seen a lot of people who are Omegas that are killing it in business. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, there must be something to this. Let me find out what's going on around here at a high level. At a yeah. high level, because you're not just doing business at a high level, just like yeah. Chris at a high level. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it, I think a part of that, too, is just the discipline, like the discipline of pledging. It required you to, you know, to have some kind of schedule. Right. It, it required you to have structure. It required you to, to do things a certain way and, and learn things in a very short window of opportunity. Yeah. Talk about, yeah, yeah. You know, within minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, but you know, it, it, just, it requires certain things and certain things of you. And, and so that's, that's one of the things that I've always kept with me, um, specifically the structure. So yeah. what school did you go to again? Oh, Notre Dame. Yeah. So I went to Notre okay. Dame for grad school. I went to the university of North Texas for undergrad. Okay. Got it. So Roth, what you got for the brother? I've been asking questions the whole time, man. Yeah. Just about to ask. Um, <laughs> so it can be found at smallchange.co. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. And we just we just hit our first hundred thousand dollars on there um, on the raise. Um, and so this is that was exciting um, because a lot of the people that I've talked to, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to get it in at the at the end of this month. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, hurry up. And- <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, it's it's. Like I said, it's really humbling, man, to to see. It's really humbling to see people supporting this and, and getting behind this and 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 saying, "Hey, man, we we trust you. We believe in you. We believe in this project, and we want to see it succeed." And so, for me, right, you know, Andre, you know, Andre Hatchet, him and I kind of go go back and forth because he's like, "Bro, you need to tell this story. You need to you need to be out there. You need to put more stuff on social media." And I'm just like, "Man, look, I just want to do the work, right? All that stuff will come." He was like, listen, people need to see what it is that you're doing and so that they'll know that there's somebody out there that's doing it successfully over and over again. I said, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But, but being able Andre, to... Andre will get people right, man. Yeah, he will. He kind of shows you up too. Like, all right, leave my boy. Like, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, plus because the, the, the social media push helps to um, raise those funds. Yeah, that too. Yeah, man. It's with the reach of social media, it's a no brainer. I'm definitely going to invest. It's cu- it's interesting because you can invest as a business, right? Yep. You can invest as a business, a trust, you know, yeah. individual, whatever. So, so everybody wants to get their write offs and everybody wants to get that fancy stuff with their business. Get you some assets with your business. Just, yep. <laughs> Get you some assets. Something that you're you need some damn assets. Weren't you right. just talking about that today or yesterday, Charles? <laughs> yes, yes. My assets for the business. So Scotty, take us back. Okay, you had the you 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 started um wholesaling and investing in real estate at 19. Mm-hmm. Started getting deals at 19. And how long did you have the realty again? So I started the company in 2011. So we 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 will hit eleven in May. Right, right. Okay, so when did you become a developer and what made you want to get into development? Man, that's a great question. And this story, this story is really interesting. I literally took a wrong turn, right, and in, in, in its physical sense. I was supposed to be going to the left on, on Malcolm X down through, you know, to East Dallas. Um, and I, I took a right and 
that right led me to South Dallas near Fair Park. I'm like six minutes away from Central Business District. And um, <laughs> at that time, the brokerage was really we were going through, you know, still dealing with situations where a lot of our clients weren't, you know, if you weren't an investor, you weren't getting into your home. And these folks were first time home buyers looking for their, you know, their family home. And they just wasn't getting it because the investors were scooping them all up. Um, and so I made this made this right turn. And I'm like, dang, this, this is not where I'm supposed to be, but it's where I'm supposed to be. And I started looking around tons of vacant land, tons of dilapidated homes. A lot of stuff was just falling down. And I'm like, okay, this 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 screams opportunity. It reminded me of South Park in Houston. So I'm like, all right, how do I buy these? How do I buy these lots? I started looking into it, seeing what was for sale. And at one point, I liquidated my entire rental, port, rental portfolio. And this is how bullish I was on it. I bought as many lots as I can get my hand on. I literally, I remember flying to LA and paying a dude $1,000 to sign that deed right there like sign this deed i'll take care of all the rest of the taxes on there was like five grand in taxes gave him a thousand dollars the house that i built the the land that i built my house on cost me seventy five hundred dollars so it it was it was an opportunity to do do a couple of things one give my clients first opportunity on houses that we built and then two rebuild an, an area that i found out was majority black and so that's how I got into it. And it really just kind of spun out of control, man. You know, what, what started as, hey, I just want to help our clients and our brokerage kind of kind of evolved into, all right, we have an opportunity to change the trajectory of this entire neighborhood because people didn't didn't see it. People from South Dallas, people from Dallas together all together were like, why are you building in South Dallas? I'm like, why not? You know? Why not? Land is cheap. Land is five, six hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. Do you think it's going to get any cheaper? Like, what are you what are you hoping for? Like, even if I don't build anything, I can buy this land. And I know four years from now, it'll be worth more than six hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so but what like I said, what started is just, you know, I wanted to help our clients specifically in our brokerage has evolved, man. And, and and we have, you know, my partner and I have a 32 unit uh, or 32 duplex um, project that we're we're working on right now. Um, we started environmental work uh, a little bit ago, um, and that's going to be all affordable housing. You know, stuff that really should be selling for about four or five hundred thousand dollars will be selling for half that. You know, and so yeah. giving people um, the opportunity to walk into a house instantly with equity, and it's like okay. Mm. This is this is exciting. This that's the exciting part. But I've been working with the city since 2019 on this deal. That ain't exciting, <laughs> you know, because I'm like, yo, my time <laughs> is worth more than this. But you know, I committed it's, to. Why it. do you why do you think they're dragging their feet on that? <clears throat> Man, think they're being encouraged to make some affordable housing happen. Yeah, you would think, right? That just sounds too much like right. Um, <laughs> it just sounds too much like the, the city of Dallas is so bureaucratic, man. It's uh, it's laced with nonsense, it's laced with politics, it's laced with uh, really just a bunch of bullshit, man, to be quite honest. Um, and it's uh, it's difficult to deal with them, it's difficult to deal with them. 
Um, there's a revolving door with staff, right? There's a revolving door with city council people. So it's difficult for somebody in my position to get anything done because, you know, from start to, you know, from the start of a project to actual groundbreaking could be 18 to 24 months, right? I may underwrite a deal. I may go to rezone. I may get my capital stack in order. I may get some bond funds from the city to help with infrastructure. And that might take two years and I get all the sign offs and the yes. And then city council might change. You know, there may be a change in the city council person. It's like, mm-hmm. dang, now I got to go all the way back through that nonsense to sell this new city council person on what's going on. And so it's just it's just a revolving door of, of nonsense that's ha- that's happening. That's why this affordable housing. That's not for the weak at heart. <laughs> it's not it, it ain't you know yeah. it'll it'll gray you up and so we, we're finally to the point where we're actually able to do some work at one point we had almost 200 people um who were homeless that migrated from you know because they were camping out in front of city hall they migrated city moved them they migrated over to our lots and activists telling them they they don't have to leave from our lots and <laughs> showing up with guns and it, it's just a bunch of it's just wow. a bunch of nonsense man i'm just like you don't have to deal with this if, in houston <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta reach out to tim jackson man see what if you can <laughs> help you out hey man that's my boy i'm just like golly it's <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say man <laughs> so so your original Talk idea to tim. yeah shout out to tim, tim is a good dude man he'll be speaking to the group tomorrow um yep, yep. So your original idea when you, you got the land was to build homes to sell to your clients at an affordable rate? Yeah, that was the original. That was the original thought. And I, I, I didn't think that I was going to become a developer. I, I, I didn't think that's what I was going to do. I thought I was just going to build a few houses and mm-hmm. make a little bit of money. But the houses sold so quick and <laughs> people were like, are you building some more? And I was like, I guess I am. <laughs> yes, I am. I am. And then I presented to a couple groups and showing, you know, I start putting together, you know, your land assemblage and you start saying, OK, I got a, a critical critical mass of lots over here. So I'm, I'm going to focus on this area. I start showing people what I would do. Folks were like, OK, I'll move over there. Other people were like, well, why are you building over here? I'm just like, well, because I got this group of people that say that they would move over here if they had this. And we need it because we need to stabilize the area and we need to make certain that, you know, we got people here because everybody says we need a new grocery <laughs> store. You think a grocery store is going to come over here just because you say you want a grocery store? We need people to support it. And so people with income too, good income people with income. Right. And so it was a it was an uphill battle, really, because a lot of folks, you know, there were some people that were like, oh, you're a gentrifier. And I was like, mm, well, well. What's your definition? And so we went into, you know, got into some verbal fights with folks on that whole matter. And and the thing was, okay, by that definition, maybe, maybe. But the alternative that you're providing is that we do nothing. And it's not like at that time I was selling houses that were, you know, that were over 200,000. I'm like, these houses are 165, 185, 195. (laughs) What's the alternative? You want to just keep it the same? That'd be so, run down. Right. And so we, you know, being able to to do this, man, has again, it it, it it'll take it, it doesn't it, it takes some time, some patience, you know, that type of stuff. So um then development developer kind of just stuck. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Are the margins gotcha. better as a developer? Yeah, man. You take <laughs> <laughs> you take a higher risk, but you know, high risk, high reward. That's the that's the key, right? Um, you know, the key to this whole thing is knowing your numbers, making certain that you don't overpay for land. And if you overpay for land, you, your deal is dead. Yeah. And so when, when you're looking at the value of land, I know a lot of people, they say to look at the tax assessment. How do you determine the value of land? Man, so what, what I do is I look at comps. I look at, because I'm a, I'm a realtor, I'm a, I'm a real estate broker. I have access to comps. I keep an yeah. eye out on what's selling. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I, I associate a price per square foot based on what is sold already. Typically, what's on your tax appraised value on the tax roll, that's not what the property is worth. A proven right, right. real estate investor knows that that's not what that's worth, right? Yeah. Um, so it can it work, you know, one way or another. And the thing is, a lot of people don't realize you can go in and 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 go down to the county and you know and tell them, hey, look, this not my property isn't worth this. It's only worth this. And they'll say, well, what makes you think that? You say, well, I got a hole in this wall. This door is coming off, and the sink don't work. And they'll say, okay, it's not worth that. We'll take your. It's worth this. So you can go and manipulate the tax values up or down, right? And so if I'm a if I'm a real estate investor, I'm gonna go look and see, okay, is there is there folks on this tax roll that have, you know, that have that have gone down to the county and and you know contested their tax value? Yeah, okay, cool. I know that this person got something going on. So let me see what's to this property. But yeah, I, I don't really pay attention to that. I'm not going to tell them I pay more than the tax value at all because, you know, they're going to adjust my tax value up. So. Right, so Charles right now is in Detroit. OK. California guy checking in on contractors, checking in on the, on the Detroit homes. Nice. And Charles, can you hear me, Charles? I don't think you can hear me anyway. So what? What 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 advice do you have for people who want to get into development? First of all, don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm only kidding, man. Because um, you have to understand before getting into development that development is not a short term play, right? Mm-hmm. Development where the big money is made is a long term situation, and that may require a number of things. It may require having you know a few months where you're literally identifying land. And so as a developer, people don't realize that as a developer, this is where you're using your creativity. You go and find the land, create the plan, find the capital, and then you hire a builder to execute that. And so if you're not really creative, right, development might not be for you. If you're not patient, development might not be for you, right? And if you don't have creativity as far as putting together the capital to make a deal happen, development sure as hell ain't for you, right? Development is the reason why developers make the amount of money that they make on developer fees, plus whatever they make on the back end on, on the profit side is because of the time that it takes and the creativity and mind that it takes to pull this whole thing together. And so if you're going to get in development or you want to get in development, I'll say this, know that it is not a short play. It's a long play. 
You're going to come in, you're going to buy some land. You might not be able to do anything with it for two years because you, you got to go through the zoning process or the rezoning process. You got to do pre-development meetings that says, you know, hey, we know that the zoning says you can do this and your site allows for you to do this. But yeah, for us to push it through, we want to see you have a fire lane that's 25 feet that goes east, west, north, and south. Like, it's like, that's not required. Mm, it's not, but that's what we want to see. Now you got to go change your whole shit up, right? And you do that over and over again. See, key to my success with the city of Dallas, I done found a nice, fine old lady down at the city, and I do all my stuff through her. How you doing, Miss Mabel? <laughs> you okay? I'm trying to do this. What you think? <laughs> And she said, no, Scotty, that might not work, but let me show you what's going to work. I said, okay, cool. Well, let's make it happen because I'm not about to deal with these folks for another six months. <laughs> so uh, so like I was saying before, so Charles is down there in Detroit checking in on the real estate, checking in on the contractors. I think Charles could use some advice along with the listeners and myself because Charles had a tweet where he said, long distance real estate will have you begging grown men to do things you can easily do yourself. You were talking <laughs> about that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about that, Charles. What you were talking about, man? What you mean? Uh, it's just like little obvious stuff. Like <clears throat> the larger projects, like you expect to have an electrician run the wires, do the plumbing, that kind of stuff. But I remember last week I needed somebody, I needed the contractor who's working on the property to put the keys in the lockbox so I can have access to the property. This dude gave me all kinds of reasons why he couldn't do it, uh, why somebody else had the keys and a whole bunch of nonsense. And uh, ultimately um, it ended up kind of getting done, but I had to come out here to get it done myself. And the reason why I needed this, I need access to the property that doesn't have to go through somebody else. I need to be able to create a system where somebody, anybody that I need to have access to the property has access to the property. And I'm not over here asking the contractor because sometimes contractors think the project is their project. And so they'll be holding the keys and, you know, it just kind of boggles things up. And so things like that, um, I've had situations where like they'll send pictures and then the floor won't be clean or this thing isn't painted right. Or, and so I'm over here having to beg you to do things that like it's common sense. But the worst part about it is they're grown men. And so it's like, you would think they have more pride in their work and getting it done and getting it done timely. Cause I mean, I even have stuff that I paid for that's not 100% done. I didn't know it wasn't 100% done and done until I got here and I'm looking down like, oh shoot, like that's not finished. I can't see it in the pictures, but I can see it now that I'm actually here. So that's all. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm trying yeah. to get to that level. I'm not nearly at Scotty's level, but you know, hard work, dedication. Yeah, it's it's difficult, man. It's funny you say that because I've, I've been interested in the Detroit market for a long time. I actually bought a property, I want to say, in 2010 um, in Detroit. I spent uh, I spent 50 bucks on the property. And I think I spent, <laughs> wow. yeah, 50 I bucks. I, 50 bucks. I spent 50 bucks on the property. And I think I spent 950 bucks on closing costs. I spent more on closing costs. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was a shit house. It was three bedroom, one bath. And that was when, you know, it, there was funds coming up, you know, spending a hundred thousand dollars and buying, you know, ten thousand houses. Like it was, it was during that time. Um, but I hadn't really quite figured out a trust system for investing out of state. And so the way I see yeah. it in my mind is, you know, when I buy another property in Detroit. Or you know, not that's not in Dallas. I'm gonna make certain it's something that I can get done or rehabbed or renovated in two or three weeks. 
I'll stay out there for two or three weeks. I'll make sure that the contractor does what they need to do for those two or three weeks. Then I'll pay the contract and go on by my business, hire a property manager, which will get that thing rocking. But yeah, that's that's it's because people, you know, being a realtor, I know angles, like especially when you're taking pictures, you try to get the, the best looking joints. You're not about to show them that there's a, a crack <laughs> over here that's not cocked up properly. Yeah, let me show them this. Let me show them the good cabinet, not the one that's falling apart. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do you have the, you still have that property? Nah, man. They tore it down. The city tore it down. Ah, man, that happens. We bought a property, the city tore it down too. <clears throat> but if you did, it might be worth a lot of money these days because Detroit yeah. has come a long way. We've seen, I'm seeing areas home selling for like 300 grand. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's, it's coming back. It's coming back. Yeah, coming interestingly back. enough. Um, so you do real estate heavy. Do you do anything else besides real estate, stock market, yeah. cryptocurrency? Nah, man, I'm I'm all in on this real estate stuff, man. I uh, That's smart. I, I did drop some money in, in some of the crypto stuff, but um, I really don't have time. So I'm also a father. I'm raising my two kids, man, um, full time. And that's that's been, man, let me tell you, that's been the majority of my time outside of work is dealing with them. They, they, they didn't turn me into a, a, a soccer dad. <laughs> daughter's in track she you know she was in jun- the junior olympics last year my son's in baseball so i'm just kind of everywhere on the weekends with them so i don't, I don't really have time yeah. and somebody somebody actually told me man you got to learn this crypto stuff and i told him look i don't understand when i'm learning something new i'm going all in <laughs> i'm going all in and i don't want to take that time away from my kids or my primary source of business <laughs> so but no, just real estate, man. Real estate right now is is, is what it is. I'm, you know, I'm you know, there's there's a I'm diversified within the real estate industry. But yeah, um, so so Scotty, remind the people of the project and where they can find it. Yeah, so everybody can go to smallchange.co and find that project. It's the retreat in Lake Noir. We're doing a Reg CF crowdfund, raising a million dollars. Minimum investment is a thousand dollars. Maximum investment is a million. So, so you know, if folks want to write a million dollar check, we'll close that bad boy today. But um, it's, it's an amazing project. If you're in uh, Texas or in the North Texas area and you want to just come check out the tour, go to LakeNoirInvestorTour.com. We, we're, we're chartering a bus, luxury bus VIP going out there. We're going to give you some food, give you some drinks. It's going to be a good time. Uh, we're going to show you the investment, show you the project, um, and then uh, come back. So join in. And then, of course, you know, you can find me online, Scotty L. Smith on Instagram and on Facebook. So uh, get with me. Um, ask me any questions. If you just want to have a one-on-one conversation, I got a link in my bio on Instagram. You can click that. We can talk about the, the we can click that. We can talk about the investment, um, you know, one-on-one. So I'm open there and available. So we got to turn that into a real Raphael. <clears throat> That's cool. That's cool. We're going we gonna to chop it up. We're going to do it. We're going to push this. And this we whole time I thought my camera was cloudy, but it was just, I mean, I thought my camera was bad. I just needed to wipe it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Raphael. <laughs> you got any wrap-up questions for the brother? Um, That's where they can find them. Well, he has just said it. Scotty L. Smith on Instagram. Um, check out smallchange.co for the project, the retreat at Lake Noir, 20, the luxury tiny cabins. 
8% preferred return and 60% um, of the uh, profits go to the investors before. Do you, um, I've made to ask you this earlier. Are you getting a, a management fee? Yeah, we have a 4% management fee, asset gotcha. management fee. I think I, folks shouldn't be working for free for y'all. They're giving you all this ROI for free. Pay them people, man. Right, right. right. The only, the only reason yeah. I ask is because I think our people need to get used to that too. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. absolutely right. That's that's you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. You get There's what operations you pay for. that's associated with this. You want to make certain that hell, at minimum, your money gets to you. That's worth four percent right. <laughs> all on its own. Shit. And you, and you might not want somebody broke managing your money either. So that works. Like, yeah. Say, <laughs> man, I gotta pay my light bill. Let me take a little funds out the fund. Like, all right, let me take a little, let me save a little off the top. <laughs> right. Do not want that. So check out my brother. On Instagram at Scotty L. Smith. Check out smallchange.co for the project. Retweet at Lake Noir. Uh, check us out on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Check out my partner Charles on Instagram at Todd Billion. Also at the parent company at Todd.capital on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter, of course. The podcast is at Tweet Pod, P O D. Follow myself, Raphael, on Twitter at Work Money Life. Follow Charles on Twitter at Real Todd Billion because there is no other. For episode 119 is Raphael and Charles and our guest, Scotty Smith. We are out of here. Peace. Peace. Yeah. Yes, this is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer of the Tweet Talk podcast featuring, of course, Charles Oglesby and the man Raphael Husbands. And look, man, if you just listen to this episode, then you know exactly what I'm capable of. You know my swag. You know what I can do. And so without any further ado, I kind of want to give you a special offer for Tweet Talk podcast episode listeners. And here's what it is. Head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com. And if you have podcasts or video editing needs, let's talk. And of course, I'm giving you a real, real nice deal. But you have to mention that you're a Tweet Talk podcast listener. And this offer isn't going to last forever. So if you're on social media or you have a business or you got something going on to where you need somebody to edit and produce your content, come and holla at your boy. And I promise to take care of you, our dedicated listener to the Tweet Talk podcast. Again, head over to DonaldTheVoice.com and hit the contact page and let's have a little conversation. Okay, back to your day, your evening, your morning, whatever's going on. Peace.